All right. Well, amen. There's nothing better than worshiping the Lord with his people. Amen. What a blessing. Open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 14. We're going to get to our passage in just a moment. John chapter 14. And as you turn there or scroll there or however you get into God's word this morning, we're so thankful for his word. It is our foundation. It is everything we need. And so we're going to start there this morning uh, in just a few moments. I do want to share just a really exciting announcement. I found this out just this morning coming in. And so it's just so cool that we are, are able to celebrate not only Unity Fest and fellowship with the church family, but also the anniversary of Jeff and Claudette Bauer. 46 years today. Yeah. Today is their anniversary. So when I walked by the Welcome Center, Claudette said, thank you so much for throwing us such a great anniversary party. We really appreciate everyone coming out and celebrating with us. And what a blessing. It's 92 combined years. Okay. <laughs> Only Jeff would do that and just put that together real quick. Yes, sir. 35. What today? 35 today right here. Yeah. Amen. Anyone else celebrating an anniversary today? Just get it out to get it out the way right now. So, all right, couple weeks. I know Sandra and I will be August 5th. We'll be 18. Just pull that right out there. So, no, we're still on uh, family focus. And so what a way to celebrate the Anlianos with us right here, Mike and Kim and all the kids kind of spread out with us. I, I, t I said this when the Garcias were here, when others are here, the Sutherlands were here. We're still praying for these guys to get their heart right and move back. <laughs> Nothing's happened yet. I'm just letting you know, I'm going to start fasting probably tomorrow, not today because we got a potluck, but tomorrow I'm going to start fasting about that. So, but no, it's great to see the kids all back there and everything. So, so great to have you guys with us. Uh, we are in week three of our family focus series. And uh, honestly, I want to talk this morning about discovering and learning how to have peace in our homes. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground in our series so far. Uh, we've talked about learning to be united, right? To come together and be unified as, as a family, living together in the home, not just coexisting in the home, but living together. And the first week we talked about just kind of the overview of God's creative design for the family, for marriage and for children and how God has orchestrated the family as the institution along with the local church to build and change the culture, to build into the kingdom and change the culture for his glory. And so we're in week three of that series. If you missed anything, you can find it on our app or online at northgoodland.org. Uh, but we want to jump this morning into our third week. And so, uh, so many people, and I think this is a true statement, so many people want their homes to be places of peace and joy. Would you agree with that this morning? For many though, work and daily life brings stress and tension. And when we are with our family and we come home to our family, we desire a reprieve from those stresses and headaches from work or daily life. And yet for many, our homes can become places of tension and strife and division. We think peace comes when we can check all the boxes of expectations. When we have the perfect home with the perfect vacation spot, the nice car, the full bank account, and everyone is in good health. If we could just get to that point, then there would be peace in the home. Then everything would be great. You see, many people chase this peace and think the next promotion, the next vacation, maybe that will bring that peace that I'm longing for. And yet time and again, we are disappointed 
Why? Because our eyes are fixed on the wrong thing. I truly believe we are disappointed time and again because we are chasing peace in things that were never meant to bring us full satisfaction, full and lasting peace. We're chasing these things that were never made to satisfy you to the degree to which you are longing for and fighting for. You see, the word tells us in Ecclesiastes that God has placed eternity in our hearts, that you were made for him and your soul longs to be with the Lord. And until that day, we will always wrestle with that longing of wanting more, wanting something more that we just can't tangibly put our hands on because we were made for relationship with him in fullness, uninterrupted from sin. And one day, praise God, John says, that we will see him and we will be like him because of Christ. But until that day, we feel that tension, that pull. We just want something more. And when we find ourselves lacking in those areas, we feel disappointed, discouraged. We lash out at other people because they're not meeting our expectations perfectly. So we're not being satisfied because we're putting it all on them. If you're here and you're married this, this afternoon, this morning, you know you cannot expect your spouse to meet all your expectations. It's impossible. If you're a young person here today and you're thinking about down the road marriage and what that looks like, let me just promise you, be fully satisfied in Jesus and look at everything from your spouse as just a bonus and you'll live a lot more peaceful marriage. But why do we do this? We fight for these things. So the question is, if we've got eternity in our hearts and we're set for eternity and we long to be with him, but we're not with him now. So has God just left us hopeless? Are we just meant to kind of grasp at momentary bursts of peace and joy as they happen to come along? Well, if you know Christ, you know the answer is no, we're not left hopeless. You see, God has given us all we need to live godly in this life, according to 2 Peter 1.3. And that our, and that all we need includes a peace that goes beyond our circumstance that is displayed in our families. If we want peace in our home, we have to understand some key things about the relationship that we are called to have with Christ. So John chapter 14, you're there in the text. If you're not there by now, just hold your Bible open. Nobody around you will know the difference. Just kind of open it up about halfway and they'll be convinced that you're there. John chapter 14. Let's look at verse 27. And this passage, uh, honestly, I usually uh, try to share this at a homegoing of someone at a, at a funeral service. Because to me, uh, when we're standing by the graveside and there's family grieving and longing the loss of a loved one, uh, this is the only word I can give them. And if I'm ever blessed and, and allowed to do a home a homegoing, um, I, I try to just give them as much of the word as possible because I don't have an answer. I don't have a solution. I'm, I'm finite. I'm limited in my understanding. I don't know why things happen the way they do but I can give them the, the word of God and God's spirit can work in that. So John 14, 27, let's, let's look at this verse together. Peace I leave with you. My peace, this is Jesus speaking here. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And this takes us all the way back to John chapter 14, verse one, where he reminds us of this reality that he is building a place. He is going to take us home one day that he wants us with him. John chapter 14, one through six is really a great summary of the gospel that where I am there, you may be also. And that's the heart of the gospel that he wants us with him. And he did everything necessary for that to be accomplished. And here in John fourteen twenty seven, he compares two kinds of peace. 
There's the peace he gives and the peace the world gives. So there is a peace that's offered in the world. And in the world means in our worldly way of thinking, worldly way of being motivated, in worldly relationships. These are not all bad things. It's not bad to find peace in your career or in your vacation or in your family as far as what they achieve or how God is blessing you. That's good and fine. But that is not the greatest peace available to us. See, he says, I give you a peace that's even greater. And why is it greater? Because the peace that I give you will keep your heart from being troubled and you will not be afraid. You see that in the verse? If you want your heart to not be troubled, trouble just means anxious, full of anxiety. And by the way, do we live in a culture that is full of anxiety today? I'm not talking about certain people. We just sometimes struggle with that more than others. And I understand that that's real, but I'm talking about there's just a culture of just stress, just trying to kind of freak us out and scare us. So how do we fight against that? Well, we don't have all the solutions in our politicians or in our economy or in our careers. We find, find all the solutions in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I want to start with one more passage and then we'll get into our message. Hopefully you guys put those crockpots on low in there because we're not even done with the introduction yet. So <laughs> Philippians, hallelujah. Philippians chapter four, another very famous verse, very famous passage. But again, one I find it's easier to read than apply. Philippians chapter four, look at verse four. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. There's no asterisk at the end of that verse. There's no conditional clause. We are commanded to do what? Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Not if the day goes well or everything goes right, but no, just rejoice. Verse 5, let your moderation be known unto all men, though the Lord is at hand. He is present. Be careful for nothing. That word careful means anxious. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. I love that. We pray and we give him our request, but we need to what? Be thankful for what he's already doing. But he says this with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. What's the result of that? Verse seven, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see, the, the application of the peace in John 14, 27 is found in Philippians 4. How do we have a peace that he gives us that keeps us from being anxious and afraid? Well, we read Paul in Philippians 4 saying, by the way, when you go to him in prayer and supplication and you're just sharing your request with him, he's going to fill you with a peace. And what does that peace do? It keeps you from being anxious because we're not anxious for anything because we're praying. And so again, you see how everything we need to live in peace, in our families, has already been provided to us. What well, powerful truths from God's word that we've already discovered this morning. The peace he gives is not as the world gives and passes all understanding. This is why we can live in a culture that is constantly on the edge of meltdown <laughs> when global or local tensions arise and fears abound due to the circumstances we face, and yet we have peace. How is it we have peace? Because we don't trust in those things. You see, living based on our circumstances is not the calling of the follower of Christ. We stand as a beacon of peace and joy that is only found in Christ to the world around us. And so how do we live in peace in our families? The first thing we have to note, and if you want to follow along, we do have notes on the app as well. We talked about that with the lyrics. Um, there is an option on there for sermon notes. If you go to media, sermon notes, 
you'll find Unity Fest, and there'll be notes there if you'd like to follow along. Or if you just like a copy of my notes, that's fine too. Just let me know, reach out to me, I'll email them to you or whatever we need to do. The first thing we need to understand to have peace in our homes is we already know we have peace with God. Peace with God. And so how do we have peace with God? Well, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, go with there with me. We are going to look at quite a bit of scripture this morning, so thank you for bringing your word. And I'll try to keep everything on the stand. But if a note page goes flying, we're just going to go to prayer and go eat. <laughs> Amen. I know I should have it memorized, but believe it or not, I don't. All right, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So how is it we have peace with God? The first thing we have, need to understand to have peace in our homes is to know we have peace with God. And how do we have peace with God? Well, we have peace with God through faith in Christ. The Apostle Paul establishes in the book of Romans that the Gentiles, or the non-Jews, were guilty before God in their sin. The Jews, in Romans chapter 2, were guilty before God in their sin. And finally, the world, Romans chapter 3, was guilty in their sin. So Paul builds a case in the first three chapters of Romans to go from the non-Jews, the, the pagan religions and the Gentile religions, they're guilty in sin. The Jewish people, apart from Christ, are guilty in their sin. The world is guilty in sin. And then he transitions to what is the hope? The answer to that sin. Well, he establishes in Romans 3, 21 through 4, meaning chapter 4, that the only hope to be forgiven of our sin is receiving the gospel of Christ. Listen to Romans 4, 23 and 25. Now it is not written for this sake alone, that it is imputed to him, meaning Abraham, but also for us, to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. That's the end of Romans chapter 4. And then we go to Romans 5, 1, and he says, therefore. So how is it Romans 5, 1, we have peace with God? Well, because of the reality of Romans 4, 23-25, that we have received by faith, the forgiveness of sins, righteousness has been given to us through Christ, that we take our sinful life and we exchange it to God through Christ for a perfect sinless life that Christ lived before the cross. And we receive by faith this gift of salvation and our sins are forgiven. And so how is it that I have peace with God? Through faith in Christ Jesus. And I know that is a simple truth to the gospel. I know if you're here and you've been in church a long time or been a Christian a long time, you're like, brother, I know that. I know the foundation of my salvation. But I believe that we show the evidence of our belief in that by how we live today. I know a lot of people that know the theological truths of how we're saved, the gospel. But if you're being honest, there's a lot of Christians who don't practically apply those truths. It's great to say, I know Romans 5, 1 says that we're given peace and therefore by faith through Christ. But are you living in peace? Or are you allowing circumstances to push you and pull you? If you know Christ, you have peace with him. This means there is now no condemnation on you. And when you leave this world, you will be ushered into eternity, fully forgiven of all sin in Christ. Not by anything you've done, but by the gift of grace. So you can't earn your salvation. You can't work your salvation. You can't go to church enough. You can't give enough tithe checks. I mean, we'll take them, but that's not going to get you to heaven. You can't get, you can get baptized all you want. You can just stay in the baptismal. It's not going to help. 
Why? Because our sins cannot be forgiven by any work we do. Our sins can only be forgiven by the perfect sinless sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And when you believe that and receive that, he says, therefore, now, not tomorrow, now you have peace with God. And so when we see our world being crazy, and by the way, kind of crazy out there, that's not new. Genesis 3 began the crazy. This is just a continuation of that. How do we sustain that? We understand that we have peace with God through our faith in Christ alone. But not only through faith in Christ, but also by the grace of God. You see, this peace cannot be earned. It is a gift of grace. All that we have from the Lord is grace. He gives it freely through Christ. If you are here and you're always feeling like what you have is never enough, you just need that next thing, that next promotion, that next house, that next car, that next relationship. There's fear and anxiety pulling at you all the time. You're constantly trying to create peace. My biggest encouragement to you from the word of God is stop and surrender. Stop and surrender. Give your life to Christ and he will grant you a peace you cannot imagine. And if you know Christ... So if you don't know Christ, you need to give your life to him. Be forgiven of your sins. Find that eternal life. Have relationship with God through Christ and find the peace that passes all understanding. By the way, there will be difficult days. There will be difficult seasons. Salvation does not take away all the trials, no matter what you hear on TV. There's still going to be trials and struggles and stresses. We live in a fallen world with fallen man. You have a hard time living with yourself, let alone other people. And so we all understand that, but what do we do? We, we go to Christ so that we can be forgiven of our sin and find eternal life in him so that we can glorify him with everything we have and everything we are so that others might come to know the wonderful gospel of salvation, that they could come to know Christ and they could spend eternity in heaven because that's why we were designed. And see, I find peace flows freely when I'm living in the purpose for which I'm designed. It's when I'm trying to live in a way that I wasn't designed that I find so much stress and tension and anxiety. When I'm just surrendered to Christ as a follower of Christ, we find that peace. So if you don't know Christ, stop and surrender. If you do know Christ, my encouragement to you, stop. Stop trying to create peace, make it happen, work on it. Just surrender to the move of the Spirit to be reminded that in Christ you have enough. You see, our peace with God is provided to us in Christ, and we are kept in that peace by the Holy Spirit. So how do we have peace in our homes. Well, the first thing we have to know is that we have peace with God through faith by grace. When we know that, our lives will be eternally changed and that will affect our families. So how can we live in peace in our families? Well, know you have peace with God, which leads to knowing that you can live in peace with others. Romans chapter 12, go there with me. Some of you thought I was done with the Bible because I closed it. I just didn't want my pages to blow away. Got a little excited. You were like, oh man, it's time for potluck. Not yet. <laughs> Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Again, what a simple verse that we're going to read. Romans 12 and verse 18. Now again, we have to understand, we've got to be careful with Romans 12. Uh, we mentioned this a while back when we were working through this passage. But Romans 12 it sets up a lot of encouragements as you go through the rest of the chapter. 
So really, once you get down past those first introductory verses, it kind of talks about using the gifts of the Spirit. Then it talks about things that we can do in the church to encourage each other, to show affection to each other, business practices, all kinds of things that we find in this amazing chapter. Now remember, Romans 12 is about practical Christian living. So Romans 1 through 3, all world guilty before God. 4, 5 talks about that idea of how we have faith, which is or how we have forgiveness of sins, how we've received grace for salvation. So we, by faith, we're saved. Then we move through the rest of the chapter, and he talks the rest of the book, and he's talking about some more applications of that for the Gentiles and for the Jews. Then we get to chapter 12, which is kind of like an all-in-one chapter. It's kind of a, a conclusion to the chapter, to the book, and it's going to give us some practical encouragements. But what a lot of people do is they pick one of these encouragements and go, I need to work on that. I need to work on doing this. And so I'll give you an example. Romans twelve eighteen. If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, what we do is we go, okay, I need to be peaceable with all men. So I need to work on that. So I need to work on that at, at home. I need to work on that at school. I need to work on that in my career. I need to work on that in my church family. I got to be more peaceable. I got to work on that and find the best in people. And we do these things. But you can't do that because that's not how the verse is meant to be taken, we have to go back to what? Romans 12, 1 and 2. So what does Romans 12, 1 and 2 say? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, now again, therefore, because of all that he's built, laid the groundwork in the previous 11 chapters, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can't get to 18 without 1 and 2. And so many people go, okay, I need to be more peaceable. I need to work on that with never surrendering and being that sacrifice we're called to be. And so if we don't start there, you're going to be very frustrated as you try to apply these things. And so when we talk about living peaceably with all men, also, again, remember, it says, as it lies in you. Well, what lies in you? The spirit of God. And as a sacrifice to him, you've surrendered your life. So that means Paul saying it's possible. Do we like that, though, that we can actually live peaceably with all men? Let's be real. Do we like that? No, we don't. Because we want to live peaceably with which men? The one we agree with. But if you're of a different political party, religious background, whatever, we don't really want to live peaceably with you because that means we have to be nice to you and respect you. And I'll tell you, we've lost that in our culture. We've lost the ability to disagree with somebody and still respect them as a human being created in the image of God that Jesus died for, that we should love and care for and serve if possible. And so what does Paul say? Live peaceably as it lies in you. Well, guess what lies in you? Everything you need to live godly, Second Peter. Everything we need is within us. It's been given to us by grace through faith. So how do we live in peace with others? Well, first you have to know you can. It's possible. It's capable. It's within you. We can live in peace with others. So how do we see this in our families? As we see wrong behavior, we need to make a choice. I want to build peace or do I want to add tension and strife? When you see wrong behavior in your families, when you realize you have been extended grace by faith, that you have peace with God, you can now extend grace to those in your family who are committing or doing wrong behavior. So let me just unpack that a little bit here. When we extend grace first in our correction, it will lead to peace instead of tension. And I'm all for having boundaries and rules in the home for our children. 
I truly believe this is where children learn how to function in the world and submit to the authorities over them, whether it be a boss or the law of the land. We should be setting boundaries and rules in our homes where our children are expected to follow certain rules and restrictions and boundaries. Why? Because you're training them so that when they leave your home, by the way, that's the goal. Amen, somebody. Just kidding, Anthony. Just kidding. Sorry, Josiah. That's the goal, though. Y'all got got to go. Okay. That's the goal is to train them to a point where they can leave your home, right? They can leave your home and they can go into the world and be a productive citizen following the law of the land, living in unity and, and peace with other people. So how do we do that? Well, we teach them there are expectations. There's nothing wrong with that. We have this mindset that grace means no expectations, no rules, no restrictions. Show me that in scripture. God says, Paul says rather, I found the more I understood grace, the more I restricted myself. The less I did once I realized I could do it, but that's not beneficial for the body of Christ. And we live in a church culture and in a culture, but in a church culture that wants to make everything our convenience. Just because it's allowable, I can go ahead and do it. No. That's foolishness. Wisdom says, I need to ask some questions. What does God ask of me in this? How would this bless and encourage those in my home, my church, my community? Would this put a stumbling block before someone around me? And so we have to go through this process just because you can find a scripture verse that gives you that one little window of opportunity. Oh, well, the Bible says here, I can do it. Well, Paul also says, but just because it's allowable doesn't mean it's encouraged or or should be done. So we have to use wisdom here. So In our families, when we see wrong behavior, there's nothing wrong with correcting that. However, when our children fall short, we must be careful to not be quick to condemn, but quick to grace. And I'll be honest with you. This is something I've always struggled with. This is something I've always wrestled with, this balance between extending grace in correction instead of extending condemnation in correction. And parents, if we're not careful, you end up beating your child down And then they just think they're just a failure in everything they do. And then they mess up on one little thing and they're freaking out because you're like, well, why? It's not that big of a deal. And you find out, oh, maybe because I've kind of subtly trained them that they need to be perfect. And by the way, uh, any perfect people in the tent? Outside the tent? Up on the hill? Any perfect people? No? No? Okay. Didn't think so. So isn't it amazing that when we go to God and we fall short, we expect grace, we hope for grace, we long for grace in the correction, but our children come to us and all we give is condemnation. I've always been amazed that grace is the number one thing that we want when we fail, but it's the number one thing we're least likely to give somebody else when they fail. And so how do we do this? Well, if you want peace in your home and in your families, it needs to be seen in how we even correct wrong behavior, have conversations. Another area that we can see peace in our homes and in our families is not only as we see wrong behavior, but as we traverse stormy seasons. As we traverse stormy seasons, our children and grandchildren, grandma and grandpa here, I mean, this is applying to you as well. Our children and grandchildren will learn much more from how we walk through storms than what we say about walking through a storm. Our children and grandchildren will learn much more from how we walk through storms than what we say about walking through a storm. When difficult seasons come into our life, living in a fallen world, it happens. It's part of living in this world. We can see the peace of God past all understanding, and that peace then becomes a refuge for our families. That peace becomes a refuge for our families. A 
pastor friend of mine I've known since college. He says this often, and I love this. Much more is caught than taught in this area of the Christian life. Much more is caught than taught in this area of the Christian life. We can say we trust in Christ. However, do we practically live in the peace we possess during the stormy season? We can tell our kids, listen, when hard times come, God is there for you. You can run to him. He's a refuge. And they're going, that sounds great, but you don't do that. I mean, not initially. You freak out, you get upset, there's yelling, there's all, all this other stuff. But then you tell me when I go through a hard time, God's there for me. So what are we really doing? We're undermining our own training. We're saying and doing two different things. See, when we are in our families and we want peace in our homes, we first understand we have peace with God through faith, by grace, in Christ, settled, done in the cross. Your Christianity is not performance-driven, performance-based. It's satisfied in the finished work of the cross. It's done. That brings peace, individual peace. I have peace with God. There is no condemnation so I can live freely in the calling of Christ on my life to just surrender all to him. But in my homes, or in our homes rather, and in my home specifically, we can live in this peace as we correct wrong behavior, have those tough conversations. Next week, we're going to talk about learning how to live in this culture as families, as followers of Christ. So we're going to unpack that a little more. What does that training look like? How do we encourage our children and grandchildren in the word? But also as we traverse stormy seasons. So in our families, we can live in peace. Secondly, we can live in peace with others in our communities. So we end with this part because this living in peace in our communities, it extends from the home and our families are a lighthouse of the power of peace in Christ. It starts in the home and it extends out individual, family, and then into the community. This would also include the church, how we live in the church. You see, in our community right now, in our world today, when politicians or leaders do what they do and decisions are made that negatively affect our lives in this world, we are not shaken. Why are we not shaken? Because we have trust in something greater. Billy Graham said it best in a sermon from 1973. God is still on the throne. He says this, I don't put my trust in Washington. I don't put my trust in the United Nations. I don't put my trust in my money. I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, it sounded a lot better when he said it in that nice North Carolinan accent. But the beauty of that, the simplicity of that, how do we live in peace in our communities? Realize your community is not the source of your peace. Your president is not the source of your peace. I don't care what party he's of. I don't care. None of that. It doesn't, that's not where it starts. The law of the land is not the source of your peace. The source of your peace, John chapter 14, 27, my peace I give unto you. It's Jesus Christ. And so how do we live in peace in our communities? we realize we already have peace with God and that extends out. Now, again, that is what practical peace sounds like. As Psalm 5 tells us, we unpack this on Sunday night, we pray and surrender to the Lord as our King. And then we look up with anticipation, trusting as God wills and God moves that whatever he does or doesn't do is right. And that brings us peace. So I have to ask you this morning, is your home a place of peace? Do you live in the peace of Christ? Is your home, you don't need to answer out loud, but is your home a place of peace? Do you yourself live in the peace of Christ? 
Are you allowing the disappointments or failed expectations of others to rob you of your peace? You see, the foundation of our joy and peace is not found in how well someone meets our expectations. It is found in the satisfying, undeserving grace of God. Romans 14, 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost, that we were enemies of God, heading for eternal punishment in a place called hell, and God in his mercy graciously chose to rescue us and set our feet upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ for eternity. If that doesn't bring you peace, nothing will. So I want to ask you this morning, we're going to allow those who are going to be helping in the kitchen, uh, preparing some food, they're going to go ahead and be dismissed at this time. You guys can go ahead and head back. And, but in just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. Now, obviously, we're not going to have you come forward. But here's what we want to do this morning. We want to invite you, I want to invite you to ask yourself these tough questions. So in just a moment, the praise team is going to come. But I'm going to ask you right there where you are to bow your heads and to begin to seek the Lord on this. Would you begin to pray right there where you are? Every head bowed as you guys begin to pray and seek the Lord. Would you ask yourself the tough question? Do I really know Christ? And again, this, this is for everyone. They just kind of spend some time praying through. Do I really know Christ? Have I personally received Christ as my Lord and Savior? Have I confessed my sins and repented of my sins, which means to turn from our sins? And have I asked the Lord to save me and forgive me? To wash me of those sins that I would have eternal life? If you're here today as you continue to pray and you've received Christ, you've made that decision to repent of your sins and trust him, then you have been given a peace that you don't need to <clears throat> chase after. You don't need to create or pursue. It has been given freely to you. We just need to live in the peace that we have, realizing that Jesus is enough. But if you're here today, whether you're a young person here today, someone later on in years, wherever you find yourself, but right now, if you were honest, you would say, I don't know Christ. I've not repented of my sins. I've not asked him to save me. Maybe you're here and you think that your good work's good enough. Maybe you're here and you think that you're a pretty good person. You're not as bad as someone else. You've never really done anything really bad. Maybe you're here and you think that you've gone to church enough to do good things enough and that by that, God would somehow forgive you for the small minor things that you have done. And I understand that thinking. I thought that way for a while as well. But the reality is that nothing we do is ever going to be good enough. That our sin separates us from God. And we're all sinners. There's no one righteous. No, not one. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, which is perfection. And God in his grace, because he loves you so much, and as John 14 says, that where he is, you will be also if you trust him. He extends to you the gift of salvation that you would repent of your sins, call them sin and turn from them, call out to the name of Christ, ask him to save you, ask him to redeem you, ask him to forgive you, and he will. And by his grace through faith, believe that he died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose again, 
And if you're here today and the Spirit of God is working in your heart and pricking your heart and drawing you to want to make a decision, I pray that you would surrender to that, that calling, that you would ask Christ to save you. And once you make that decision, nothing can take that away from you, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, that we are sealed into the day of redemption. And so maybe you're here today and you want to receive Christ. You can do that right there in your seat, just between you and him in a word of prayer. Just call out to him. If you want to talk to somebody, if you're here today and you want to receive Christ and you want to talk to somebody, there'll be those in the back that can talk to you or share with you more about this. I'll be in the back if you want to talk about that. But for the believer here today, as we continue in prayer, the believer here today that knows Christ, maybe you would say, Lord, I'm not walking in peace. I'm letting the things of the world distract me. Help me to get my focus back on you so that I might live in peace in my home and in my community for your glory and for your honor. Father, we ask that you would lead God and direct them the only way that you can by the working through your spirit as we surrender to you. Help us to stop and surrender and trust. So Father, would you glorify your name in this time? Draw those unto salvation that need to be saved. Work in the hearts of the believers that need to turn back to you and remind themselves that peace is available, perfect peace that settles all the storms even when the storm is raging. So Father, in all of this, may you give us your wisdom as we look to you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we sing a song of invitation together? God of this city, as we sing this, let this not just be a song of invitation for us, but a song of prayer that we're asking God to help us to believe this, to know this is true. These words in this song are powerful and true that God is the God of this city and that he is using this church to reach this community for his glory. We want to be involved in that. So let's be excited for what God is doing as we worship him this morning.